Well, it's good to see uh, everyone that's made it out this morning, uh, though we have quite a few that are traveling and uh, not with us today. We uh, are going to uh, kind of just a post around a little bit uh, to see uh, for those that are out in La La Land that they can actually see a little bit more about the uh, church building. And uh, of course, what we're doing is uh, we're continuing on with the book of Daniel and we're in chapter 9. So if you will, let's turn over there. And uh, we're going to read a little bit from Daniel chapter 9. We're going to go down to verse 16. And uh, once again, I want to point out something to you from what we have been studying and the dedication and everything that goes on with our study. So in verse 16 of Daniel chapter 9, it says, O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy thy fury be turned away from the city of Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for our iniquities, our fathers, Jerusalem, and the people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon the sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes, and behold our desolations, and the city which is called by thy name, for we do not present thee present our supplication before thee for righteousness before thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and defer not. For thine own sake, O my God, for the city and thy people are called by thy name. Let us pray. Father, we want to thank you again for the opportunity to stand before the congregation. And I pray, Father, that anyone that hears this message today that we might understand the things that you give us, all the things that are before us, and that we might rejoice in thy name. Help us, dear Father, to be the, the faithful men and women of God in all that we do. Not, Father, just because we want uh, large numbers, but, Lord, that people will be impacted by the message that we deliver. So guide us and bless. Help us, dear Father, to be faithful unto you, and lead us in all things. In Christ we pray. Amen. So as we begin today, uh, one of the things that we want to do is bring a conclusion to Daniel chapter 9. Now in Daniel chapter 9, understand that Daniel had been praying all along, understanding from what we read uh, in the last uh, time that we were together, reading Jeremiah the prophet, all the prophecies that pertain to Jerusalem, the 70 years that there would be the exile away from Jerusalem in order to fulfill all the Lord's Sabbaths and to make sure that everything was ready. But one thing that Daniel understood, and this has been something that's been perplexing me as well, one of the things that Daniel understood was that the people needed to be consecrated before entering back into Jerusalem. Now, unlike, and I pointed this out last week as well, unlike the former Jewish people that had arrived into the Holy Land or the Promised Land ahead of, uh, you know, what we now see as this debacle, ahead of the, uh, the judges, ahead of the kings, and so on and so forth, we begin to see that there was a gradual sliding away from the things of God. I can particularly look at that from one point of view, and I want you to see this right now. Take your Bibles, and let's go to the book of Acts, and we're going to go to chapter 
chapter 2. Let's begin there, shall we? Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the, the powerfulness of God in a group of people that they really want God to be seen in all that they say and do. Look at verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it said on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The reality is, is that they had already spent seven days. And in that seven-day period, they had, and I'm talking about the apostles, they had uh, separated themselves from the world. They were divided only to the things of God. They had studied, they had prayed, they had fasted, they did all the things that were required. So that when the Holy Spirit finally did come to them, they were ready for the coming of the Holy Spirit. They were not shocked about what the Holy Spirit was doing in their lives. But when you find a church, when you find a people that are that close to God, then you're going to see immediate action. Let me show you what I'm speaking of. Let's go to chapter 5 now. And in chapter 5, we have the acknowledgement of Ananias and Sapphira. And look what it says, beginning of verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and bought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now understand, if you go back to chapter 4, you find that uh, Barnabas, who, whose real name was Joseph, he was one that uh, he had also sold all of his possessions, laid them at the apostles' feet, and so that everyone would have need and everyone would be taken care of as the need would require. It also freed him up to become a greater missionary, if you will, into the rest of the world. However, the accolades that must have been put upon Barnabas, because he was then called the son of consolation, or the, con the son that was closest to God, or the one that was the giving son, having this mentality in him, I'm sure Ananias and Sapphira said, I want some of that recognition. I want some of that myself. And so they sold a possession, and they had every right to all the income of that possession. They could buy, they could sell, they could do whatever they wanted. But verse 3, look what it says. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? This is something that is very important for us to look at. Because the fact is, is that when a church or a congregation or a people are closer to God, there's going to be more immediate attention. Look what it says here in the rest of the verse. And to keep back part of the price of the land. While it was... and said, we want to give X amount of dollars to the church. Not that he had to give all of it, but he said, it's up to you to give it. But where the lie is that he said, I have sold this piece of property, and I have not only sold this piece of property, I give back uh, all of it to the Lord. He did not give it all back. Uh, notice again, it says, Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. The closer a congregation is to God, 
the more immediate we're going to see the results. Look at verse 5. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came upon all them And when they heard these things, that heard these things. So the reality is, is that because of the closeness of the things of God, we see this immediate attraction that is there as well. Let me show you one other one. If you will, let's go back to the book of Joshua. And in the book of Joshua, we see something that's very similar. Of course, uh, I'm not trying to ignore the fact that uh, we saw uh, Sephora in the same argument, same uh, mentality. But in the book of Joshua, notice that there was suddenly, uh, they had just finished going in and taking out the land. Uh, let me put this here. Let's go to chapter... 9, first of all, and go down to verse 15, 14. And the men took their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them uh, to live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto that. Wait a minute. I, I went too far ahead. Hang on a second. Um, let's go back into this. Okay. Notice again in Joshua, I went chapter, let's go to chapter 7. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zebedee, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Now once again, remember that the Lord had commanded that when, Jeruz when the Jericho had fallen and the walls had come down, that all the accursed things had to be destroyed. Everything was not going, there was nothing that was supposed to be left. But one man named Achan decided in his heart that he was not going to destroy everything that God had put there. And immediately, Joshua was disheartened. Look at verse 2. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spake of them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. Now, once again, when they came back from AI, they all made the report to um, Joshua. Hey, it's a small city. We don't have to send out the entire army. Just a few of us can go. Look at verse 5. And the men of AI smote of them about thirty and six men, for they chased them from before the gate unto Shebaram, and smote them in the going down, before the hearts of the people melted, and became as water. And Joshua rent his clothes, and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord, until the evening tide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust on their heads. Listen to what Joshua says. And Joshua said, Oh, again, they just defeated a major city in Jericho. And now this little town of Ai has really beat them back. And because they had beat them back, we find that even the leadership of Israel has been disheartened. But look what the Lord says to him. Verse 10. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. In other words, get up. such that it would defeat an entire group of people. One sin. And so when I take a look at Ananias, one sin 
required immediate action. We look, take a look at Joshua and we find Achan who had disobeyed the law of God. One sin and there was a, there was a complete separation of the trespass. Now we live in a time of grace. We live in a time of mercy. We live in a time where we, we understand that everything that we have in our lives should give a greater commitment. Let's put it this way. None of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. And, you know, it's like anything else. You know, one person asked me one time uh, when I was pastoring out in California, they said, Brother Prater, I went to somebody's house and opened up the refrigerator and they had beer in the refrigerator. Don't you think we ought to bring those people up? How? And I told him, I said, no. He said, me? I said, who gave you the right to be the Gestapo of the church to decide what is right, what is wrong? And I said, not only that, but show me one verse in the Bible where it says alcoholic beverages are wrong. And he had taken something that had been uh, in the old church decree that had now um, been passed. And I said, you don't know what that person is using that alcohol for. I said, I've known a lot of people that have marinated with alcohol. I said, we do not, as a church, go in and look at other people and say, oh, you're to blame. The reality is, is that a church is going to have enough on its plate by following after the things of God. And if we want to be a holy people, one of the first evidences of holiness is when we have separated ourselves such that there's immediate work that is done within the congregation. All right, I'll bring that up to you. Now notice that um, after, da after Daniel had prayed this particular prayer over the children of Israel and saying that they are going to re-inherit the land, we've got to have the right heart, the right attitude, Lord, Give us a heart that will follow after you. And notice that it was after he finished praying that in verse 20 we hear the Lord speak. And notice what he says. While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. Now once again, Gabriel is now dispatched in the presence of this one man. And when Gabriel comes into this, this presence, notice that there is a command that he must follow as well. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. Understand this, and this is, a, this is an amazing feat when it comes to all of God's messengers, all of God's angels. They will only come when God dispatches them. They will only do what God commands of them. And there is a control in every little phase of what an angel can and cannot do. There are seraphims that their entire role is to cry out, Oh! the New Testament and how that Gabriel had come forth and he was to declare to uh, Zacharias what was going to happen in him. We also see Gabriel as he dis is dispatched to give the same message over to Mary. We find in the book of Matthew that an angel, and it doesn't mention the angel's name, was given also to let Joseph know that the Holy One of Israel is within him as well. All right. 
So here is Gabriel, and it is required of him to give understanding to Daniel. And up to this point, Daniel was still struggling over the meaning of everything that he had seen. He was struggling over the Grecian Empire. He was just struggling over the, the Mede-Persians. He was just uh, struggling over, over uh, Babylon and that city that was yet to be named. However, let me point this out to you. Daniel was perplexed, not for these ancient places, not for Babylon, not for the Mede-Persians, not for uh, what we even see here in this particular time when Greece would come on the scene, but he was perplexed for Israel. Now, uh, you know, we are now in the middle of Memorial Day or Memorial Day weekend, and I thought about the, the cause of Memorial Day. Memorial Day for us is one to where that we recognize the power of God upon our nation and it, the lives that were lost in battle, and of course it's now moved on to include people who died ahead of us. But the original idea was called Declaration Day. And in Declaration Day, it was one to recognize the fallen soldiers. Uh, I put in the bulletin uh, a particular one that I have found was pretty amazing. And it's called the Zolle Tree that is in um, Pulaski County, Kentucky, near the town of Nancy. Uh, at the Battle of Mill Springs, uh, General Zollicoffer, who fought for the South, went against uh, General Thomas, who was the general for the North. And during the time of that battle, there was such a torrential downpour that literally Zollicoffer ran up and rode up to the uh, General Thomas and was giving him all the and everything until one of his aide-de-camp said, Sir, this is the enemy. So he was killed by accident because at that moment when he went to reach for his own weapon, someone else shot him and killed him. Well, the reality is, is because of that uh, honor that was uh, given to both North and South, there was a tree that was decorated, and it was called the Zolli tree. Now, mind you, the, Zolli, the original Zolli tree uh, has, uh, has fallen because of lightning. It was a massive oak. Uh, now there's a new tree that was uh, one of its seeds or one of the Zollicoffer seeds was collected and it was made into an oak. That's what I understand. I, I don't hold me to that. But that is the reality of the declaration. There's another one in the Bible. It's in 1 uh, Samuel chapter 12. I think it is. And down to verse 17 it says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I come. And literally that Ebenezer was a memorial that said because of that, those people that had trusted in God, there was going to be a great memorial that was going to occur. Well, the same thing holds true. We hold to Memorial Day as a reminder of God's blessings upon us, though millions have died in the process. And, you know, it was an honor for me also to serve our country. Now, I bring all that up for one reason. Memorials are to remind us of the good that God has brought. In the same aspect, Gabriel is brought in uh, to Daniel to say, listen, I know what's going to happen. And I'm going to give you, as is required of God, um, this understanding that is going to occur. Look at verse 21 again. And while I was yet, and while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, we know that Gabriel is an angel, 
whom I have seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. An angel can only give what is given him to give. So Gabriel had the knowledge. Gabriel was a messenger. He sat at the, the very presence of God. And he had all this that was required of him. But do you realize that Daniel struggled to understand every little aspect. And Gabriel was dispatched because of the devotion and the care that Daniel had to go forth for God. And I'm going to just bring this up. I, I, I actually put this in my notes for the second message. But I want you to think about this. Daniel had spent his entire lifetime. This is now towards the end of Daniel's life. And do you realize that during the entire time of Daniel's life, he had devoted himself in prayer and separation and fasting and so much more for the cause of Israel, for the good that God had brought. I, I thought about this for myself. I want to see this church prosper and grow. I think everybody that ever comes to me uh, wants the same thing. It's one area to say that we want spiritual profit. We want the abilities to have the, the spiritual growth that is necessary. But understand this. If something happens to me right now, what's going to happen in this church? If something happens to our congregation, what's going to happen in this church? Reality is, if God wants this church closed, he'll close it. No matter how much work we put in, he will close it. But until that time, we should be energetic and zealous for the Lord so that we go into every highway and hedge. And I have been under strong conviction over this. How do I tell others of Christ? Uh, do I need to alter my life such that that would come about even more? God will let us know. In verse 23, at the beginning of the supplication, the, the commandment came forth, and I come, uh, I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved, therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. Now once again, Gabriel said, I understand what your desire is, Daniel. You want to know what's going to happen to the children of Israel. You want to know what's going to happen you know, in times to come. Please understand this. We have this chart that's up on the board right now. I don't know how many of you can actually see this chart. But reality is, is that we see all of these weeks that have come into place. And as Daniel begins to see these things uh, in place, he's wondering, well, where does Israel fit in? How is Israel being impacted by this? And the fact of the matter is, while we see all of the different countries, those are for our benefit. When I read about Babylon, it happened. When I read about the Mede-Persians, it happened. When I read about Greece, it happened. When I read about Rome, it happened and it is happening. And though Israel has gone away, it is still going to play a major piece and the final construction of the Lord's return. How much so? Even now, the Jews are returning to Jerusalem. And, you know, let's put it this way. It's a small place. And when, the, when we find that the Jews are wanting to get back into Israel, they're wanting to get back into Jerusalem, it's creating a, 
a massive challenge to keep peace amongst everyone who's there. Think about this for a moment. We have seen presidents that have demanded that Israel back down or give up, give up a little bit of their property in order to have countries step into their places and saying that, well, we are, we are now the Palestinian uh, army, or we're, we're from the Palestinians, and we need to be demanded. They have never had any rightful claim to Israel. In fact, the one thing that we need to look at is that God is bringing everything to pass as he sees fit. And reality is, is that as we begin to look at these supplications, Israel might have gone away, but it had to come back with a full nation, with a full tongue, with a full before we can ever see everything else occur. Look at verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring the everlasting righteousness to sell up the vision, the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So the reality is there are 70 weeks that are determined. This is what this timeline is all about. This is Daniel chapter 9. And notice that when you see this, this whole time frame here. And in that entire time frame, as we take a look at that, the one question is, is how long is it going to take? Now, I've heard so many people say, well, why do you suddenly say weeks means years? Hold your place here. And if you will, let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. Let me get over there too. And in chapter 30, let's go down to verse 7. And this is why we say the weeks are for years. Go down to verse 7 of Jeremiah chapter 30. Alas, for the great day is so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble but he shall be saved out of it. What is the time of Jacob's trouble? Remember this, is that Jacob served seven years for one week with Rachel. Remember that? He served seven years for one week with Rachel. Then the trouble occurred is that when, he, when the daylight was enough for him to see who he was lying with was Leah, then he rushed to Laban and said, how dare you deceive me like that? Of course, Laban realized that God had always been with him. He said, well, just finish up Leah's week, and then after Leah's week, then I'll give you Rachel. Once again, there was, there was for one week with Rachel, there were seven years of service. So when we go back over here, notice again that that's what this is all about. In verse 25 it says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks. It took 49 years to complete Jerusalem. Now I want you to write that down. 49 years. That's seven times seven. And so in those 49 years, and we can see it over here, once again, that in that 49-year period, we can see all the aspect that's just one week of what's getting ready to occur. And then it says, from the time that Jerusalem was finished, this is where we begin to see Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, all of that come into place, until the time that Messiah, the prince, is going to go in is 7 plus 62 years. Let's see if that's not true according to Scripture. 
and it says onward, and it says, and after uh, three score and two weeks, verse 26, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince shall come, uh, uh, that shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now let's stop here for a moment. <coughs> so, Jesus, the Messiah, is come. He's resurrected. We see that all of that is in place, and that has occurred. But there is still one week that is left. And not only that, but listen what again it says in verse 26 of Daniel chapter 9. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, meaning that he is now cut off from all the rest of Israel, but not for himself. Why? Because he is to bring salvation through faith in Lord Jesus Christ and his death, burial, resurrection. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city. Now, when was the city and the sanctuary destroyed? Around 69 A.D. And so the moment that, they, that that city was was destroyed, then that means everything else has been put on pause. There's still one week left. And the end thereof shall be the end of the war. Desolations are determined. And look at verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. There's still one week left. One seven-year period left. We call that the tribulation period. And during that tribulation period, we find that this is where the evil one will come. We call him Antichrist by everything we can see, though uh, we are told throughout Scripture that there are many Antichrists that have come. But this one is going to be the epitome of evil. He will not do things of his own. We're going to see that as we go forth into Daniel chapter 11. But he is going to bring forth all kinds of imaginary things or imaginative things. He'll even be able to bring an image like unto himself to life. All that's going to happen. But what else what it says? Verse 27, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Meaning, many, not all of Israel, but many in Israel, those that are going to be in Jerusalem. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifices and the oblation to cease. In other words, at, at 1265, at 1265 days, or roughly thereabouts, we're going to see the end of everything as we know it. And he is going to then chase Israel into the mountains, and there's going to be destruction. Let's go on. And for the overspreading of the abominations, he shall make it desolate. So when we take a look at the abomination of desolation that Jesus even refers to, there are many people that are trying to figure out, what is that abomination? What is that desolation? What is that all about? Could it be that he's going to sacrifice a pig? I don't know. But let's put it this way. If he declares himself to be Christ, the Holy One, that's enough of abomination. If he orders that sacrifices would be made unto him, that's an abomination. The abomination of desolation means that he is suddenly lifting himself up as God and he's demanding that the world, including the Jews, would bow down and worship him. That's going to happen in this midweek. Some have said that there will be the sacrifice of a pig. I don't know that that's going to happen. It doesn't tell me that. But the reality is, is that everything that's going to be an abomination is going to occur. And notice, even until the consummation, and that determined, I shall be poured upon the desolate. All right? Are we having problems? All right. 
so we'll finish up there. I bet you anything the uh, recording has already stopped. All right, that's great. All right, so now that gives us the opportunity to go over to Chapter 10. And again, if there's any questions on this, we'll go in and we'll take a look at that as well. Now, with the time we have remaining today, I want to go in and we're going to read all that we can find in Daniel chapter 10. So if everybody will bear with me, notice again that we're going to go to Daniel chapter 10 now and move forward to this next place. All right, look what it says. And in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. And the thing was true, and the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. So the reality is, Daniel understood everything that was given to him by Gabriel. Look what else we see. And in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Mark it down, the 21 days. 21 days. I ate no pleasant bread. Neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Twenty-one days. Most of us have never fasted beyond one day, maybe two days. And this verse really got to me, because Daniel was so devoted to the things of God that he was willing to fast and to ask God to be with him for that entire period to give him the understanding and the direction. Let's read verse 3 again. And I ate no pleasant bread. That word pleasant means tasty bread, sweet breads, all of those things that are there. I didn't eat any of that. So in reality, he was really rejecting the things of the world so that he could understand the things of God better. Let me just say this to you. I know myself what I want. Am I willing to sacrifice my feelings, my wants, my personal desires for the glory of God? Daniel not only wanted that in his life, he would literally cause prayer and fasting to occur in such a way that he would deprive the flesh of the things that he wanted. What did Jesus do? He spent 40 days in the wilderness, and there he fasted and prayed while he waited upon God to give him the things that he needed. We see the same thing with Elijah. More and more we see it. Now notice again, I didn't do anything for 21 days. And in the 420th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hedekel, by the way, the word Hedekel is another name for Tigris. No, another name for Tigris. Then I lifted up mine eyes, and I looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with a fine, with a fine gold of Uphaz. His body was also like the burl, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes were lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like to the voice of a multitude. Reality is... He is now seeing the Lord God in a strong and powerful way. How do I know that? Let's turn to the book of Revelation, and let's go to chapter 1 out of the book of Revelation, and let's see if this is not the same image that John would see of Jesus Christ as he was on the Isle of Patmos. All right, look, at, if you will, uh, let's go down to verse 13 of Revelation chapter 1. 
And in the midst of seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paths with a golden girdle. There's one. His head and his, uh, his hairs were white like wool, meaning that there was a brightness to him, a countenance, as white as snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire, the judging eyes, the quickening eyes. You know, many times people will say, you know, like our own country, they'll turn around and they'll say, well, if God is so much against us, why is so much of this still happening? Reality is, is that God has been patient with America. And I, I, I can see there a, a great division. You know, I had someone ask me about the, the transgender things. I, I don't have to... Uh, go into transgender. I don't have to go into homosexuality. I don't have to deal with all those things if I don't want to deal with them. But may I bring this up to everyone that's listening to me today? These are nothing but little fires that Satan has set it, that has set, and we are trying to put them out. Do you want to put them out on your own? Stop watching the TV set. Stop watching all these things that are going on. I, I don't even listen to the nightly news. I don't, I don't even listen to the nightly news. Because reality is, the nightly news is not reporting news. They're re reporting on opinion. And I've got news for you. I, I very seldom even watch the local news. But I do from time to time watch just the local news so I get the weather report. But the reality is, is that if we want to stop things in track, then the only way to stop it is if we turn our attention elsewhere. Look what else it says. Um, and it says in verse 16, And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Go back over here to Daniel and read again in Daniel chapter 10. And notice what it says, verse 5, Then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Ophaz. His body was like unto burrow, and his face is the appearance of lightning. There it is. See, see the countenance? And his eyes were lamps of fire. Do we see the same message that we see in Revelation? And his arms and his feet in color to brass, and the, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. In other words, this is the Lord God speaking to Daniel. And the reality is, is that Daniel, when he sees it, look what it says, and, and I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quakening fell upon them. Do you realize, and this, this is something every one of us, wouldn't you love to have the power about you that when you walked into the, into the midst of people, that there was a sudden respect for the man of God, a sudden respect for the leaders of our country. We, we are living in a time where there's a lack of respect. There was a man many years ago after George Washington had become president of the United States. He said, I bet you I can go up and slap the shoulder of, of uh, George Washington and there won't be a thing. And he went up and he slapped the shoulder of George Washington and it said that Washington just stopped and looked at the man. And as he looked at the man, the man cowered and did nothing but walk away. There was a, another person, a woman one time went up to Calvin Coolidge. She was known as Silent Cow or Quiet Cow. And she went up to him and she said, uh, I, I just bet someone that I could get you to say more than two words. What do you say? He said, you lose. There is a reality that we turn around all the time. 
and we think that people will cower to us because of the position we hold. I am not in my unless I devote myself to the things of God. All right, well, our time is about done. We're going to pick up here, Lord's willing, next week, and we're going to do find out a little bit more about the statement. And again, it's called, When Satan Fights Against You. We're now in Daniel chapter 10. Let's be dismissed in prayer. Father, again, thank you for your blessings. Help us to follow the walk faithfully before you and guide into right now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're dismissed.